Coming up on this episode of Linux for Everyone, the first half of a massive two-hour interview with System76 Linux Ninja, Jeremy Soller, plus a new discovery of the week that brings RTX voice-style noise suppression to Linux with no special hardware required. Not only am I going to tell you about it, I'm going to give you a demo. Episode 46 finally starts right now. All right, indeed. Hey, everybody. Jason here, and welcome to Linux for Everyone, and welcome home. Welcome back to your weekly journey down the rabbit hole of awesome Linuxy stuff. In case you're new around here, that opening theme song that you heard is called Brain Dead, and it was written by my friend and musical songwriting partner in crime, Jerry Morrison. Together, we have a band called More Sun. And that song, Brain Dead, you can find on uh, Deezer, Spotify, Amazon, YouTube Music. I think it's even on TikTok. So <laughs> anywhere that uh, you consume or buy or stream your music, you can probably find it. So check it out. It's, it's a great little uh, slacker rock song, and we had a lot of fun recording that. And also, if you're if you're new here, uh, your RSS feed, the last two or three episodes in your Linux for Everyone RSS feed, might have taken you on a very very quick roller coaster journey, which took uh, several months for me. So it was kind of like, yeah, guys, I don't know if the show's coming back. Oh, the show's coming back! Hey guys, uh, wait, yeah, oh yeah, it's coming back. Uh, anyway, yes, it is a weekly show once again, and that is possible. It's a reality with the help of Tuxedo Computers. Uh, we have been developing a partnership where I'm going to help Tuxedo Computers build its community and also contribute some content to their various channels. And they, in turn, are basically sponsoring Linux for Everyone, the network itself. And uh, what they're doing is is pretty much removing the stress or the anxiety of uh, that month-to-month, week-to-week, trying to make the ends meet, uh, put food on the table, find a sponsor that's going to cover the bills, find this opportunity that's going to cover the bills. And so I'm really, really, really excited about this partnership. And the best thing of all is that in, in uh, in the true spirit of open source and community, they have actually insisted that... I keep covering the Linux hardware ecosystem, you know, System76 and Slimbook and Star Labs and Dell and Lenovo. And I'm telling you this as a way to sort of color in the lines, um, color in the empty spaces of a larger, a larger canvas, so to speak. This partnership is not going to introduce any kind of bias or preference. And I think uh, the best way to demonstrate that is with, you know, kind of bringing the show back with a two-part interview um, featuring Jeremy Soller of System76. 
And I'll tell you a brief story. Uh, this is something that happened in January 2020, what I now call the before times, um, because it seems like just a lifetime ago. Uh, anyway, I was offered the very distinct opportunity to take over Barton's job at Dell's Project Sputnik. And if you know uh, anything about Linux hardware from the last few years, you know that Project Sputnik is Dell's Linux initiative. It's um, kind of the flagship of that is the Dell XPS 13 Developer Edition that ships with Ubuntu. And uh, we were talking for a while about me taking over that role as he uh, kind of made a lateral move uh, in the company. And ultimately, I had to turn it down because it would have meant basically killing Linux for everyone. You can't be a representative of Dell and interview the Jeremy Sollers of the world or talk about the Tuxedo Computers of the world or Slimbook or, uh, you know, potentially other distros outside of the ones that that uh, Dell offers on their on their hardware. So it became it was such a tempting offer and it would have. Uh, it would have brought me a lot of uh, a lot of challenge and a lot of satisfaction to be able to to lead that charge over at Dell, and I I think I could have done a good job, but I did not want to bury Linux for everyone as we know it. So this partnership with Tuxedo Computers is really the perfect outcome, and I'm very very grateful and excited for it. Okay, but we have a lot more to tackle in this episode of Linux for Everyone, so let's jump into the discovery of the week. There have always been a few ways to introduce noise suppression or noise reduction into uh, the recordings that you make on Linux. Of course, they're mostly application-specific. So, for example, in Audacity, which I use to record the show, uh, I'll take about 5 to 10 seconds of just dead air at the beginning of the recording and just to capture the room noise and any, any kind of ambience, um, you know, whether that's like some, somebody mowing outside or just whatever. And uh, I'll have that at the beginning of the recording, and then what I'll do when I'm finished is I will select that empty space, that dead air, before I start talking. And I'll click uh, on Audacity Effect and then Noise Reduction. And what that does is it gives Audacity a sample of the frequencies that you want to remove. And then you click the entire track and apply the noise reduction. And that takes out a lot of like air and hissing and just, you know, that, that background noise. Over in OBS, you can apply a noise gate to your scene. And what that'll do is it, it kind of will uh, keep the mic closed until a certain volume level or, or you know threshold is met. But I got to tell you guys, when NVIDIA introduced RTX voice, I got really, really jealous. And not more of the audio side of that application. And what that application does is it uses dedicated hardware inside of a NVIDIA RTX graphics card to auto-magically filter out any noise aside from your voice. And that was obviously a huge hit and uh, might have even sold graphics cards for that feature alone, you know, living in this 
in this uh, post-pandemic world where so many people are living at home and using Zoom and Discord and Google Meet or whatever uh, teleconferencing solutions that they, they have to use. So when I heard about a little piece of software for Linux called AudioTorch, I was really, really happy. And when I used it and actually got ears on with the software, I was overjoyed. Um, so, okay, in a nutshell, AudioTorch is an easy-to-use open-source application for Linux with Pulse Audio. What it does uh, is it creates a virtual microphone that suppresses noise. And it does this in any application. So very similar to how RTX voice works is with Noise Torch, you get it set up and then you choose the Noise Torch microphone as your input. So if you're in Audacity, if you're in Discord, if you're using OBS, if you're using Zoom or Jitsi or Google Meet or any number of things that you have to talk, on, uh, it will intelligently filter out the noise. And since audio is kind of my thing, uh, I love audio production, I wanted to do more than just tell you about it. I wanted you to hear it for yourself. So I would urge you to put on some good quality headphones for this next section. If you're listening in your car, maybe crank it up, maybe roll up the windows, uh, but definitely pay attention to the, the nuance and the subtleties, okay? Here we go. Here is a demo of Noise Torch. Okay, so this is me recording with my MXL BCD1 microphone on Pop! OS using uh, OBS. And I've got the Noise Torch voice activation threshold at 75%. Uh, I tried at 85%, but there was a little bit of clipping where it didn't quite pick up uh, when I started talking. Right now, I am in the office with the door open. I've got two computers next to me with the fans cranked up pretty high. And we're going to see uh, what the ambient noise is like, if, if it even picks up any ambient noise at all. And this is me recording with my MXL BCD1 microphone after unloading the noise torch software and so i'm recording in obs just straight um, the input is just the microphone into the zoom u22 audio interface just like before same environment doors open in the office two computers with the fans cranked up and uh i can see on the the audio mixer from obs that it is picking up the the room noise so i'm just going to stop talking here for a second and see what we hear I suspect there's going to be quite a difference. All right, noise torch test number two. Here's the situation. I am in the office. I have my uh, window open, and my wife is just beyond the office on the balcony on a conference call. Okay, you can hear that, probably. Uh, I've got my Oryx Pro right next to me, right by my mouse hand, and it's got the fan cranked up. I have my uh, production tower next to that. Its fans are cranked up. And there's, there's traffic noise outside. And just to up the ante a little bit, I'm going to just type. That's what that sounds like. Okay. 
So soak it all in. Just soak, a, soak in the ambient room noise. Now, let's turn Noise Torch on. And this is with Noise Torch on. Everything is still happening. I'm still typing. There's still traffic outside. My wife is still in her call. Fans are still cranking on the PCs. And I'm guessing that it's mostly silent, especially uh, when there's no speech coming from me. Okay, and this is uh, Jason now coming back from the other side. This is not Noise Torch Demo Jason. This is the Jason who's recording <laughs> this episode of uh, Linux for Everyone. And no, I am actually not using Noise Torch to do the recording. And there's, uh, there's one big reason why. Because you probably heard just a, just a slight bit of clipping. And it's just a tiny bit distracting. Now, for professional podcast recording, this will absolutely work in a pinch if I have no other choice. And you probably notice things like uh, just a very, very subtle keyboard typing noise as the microphone sort of clicked on after recognizing the, the voice input. There's, yeah, there's little artifacts like that. But I got to tell you, if you're talking about, you know, doing voice chat in a game or being on a conference call, it is a dream come true. I mean, it just kills all of the background noise. You know, my cats could be meowing, dogs could be playing with each other, um, you know, wife being on a conference call, motorcycles uh, speeding down the highway outside. I mean, there's so many great use cases for Noise Torch. It is hosted on GitHub where you'll find the source code and the binary as well as very clear installation instructions. There are a few steps that you'll have to execute in the terminal. Uh, but again, I got it. I nailed it on my first try. It's pretty simple, pretty straightforward. However, I did ask the developer if uh, there were any plans for an app image. And he said, there's no update yet, but I agree that installation needs to be simpler. I'll try to look more into app image next week. So keep an eye out for activity on this repo. It's really fantastic software. It's a godsend. Uh, and if you want to download it and install it and try it out for yourself and uh, want to share some feedback, you can reach out to me anytime. The email address is linux everyone at pm.me, the PM stands for ProtonMail, so it's Linux for everyone at pm.me. And I will, of course, have a link to Noise Torch in the show notes for this episode at Linux, the number four, everyone.com. Welcome back to Linux for everyone, and please welcome Jeremy Soller, the Linux Ninja Engineer at System76. How you doing? Hello. I'm doing great. How are you? I'm, gr I'm great, and I haven't been able to say that for a while, so it feels, mm. um, it feels great to actually say that I'm doing great. I'm glad uh, to hear that. It's, yeah, it's been, it's been a rocky few months, um, mm -hmm. but things are starting to fire on all cylinders now, so, you know, all that we need now is um, for Adobe products to come to Linux and for live music to start again, and I think... <laughs> I would have really no complaints. <laughs> okay, so uh, 2030? <laughs> 2030. 2023 <laughs> for the live music, hopefully. Okay. 
So I wanted to uh, just briefly tell people that I heard you on a fantastic podcast. It was my first time listening to this podcast. You were talking about kind of the the ins and outs of working with Linux and Linux hardware and building operating systems. And it was it was such a invigorating listen that it got me hyped for Linux all over again. Like I have never I have never imagined myself geeking out so hard about how fan curves and power profiles on a laptop work. And the way that, the way that you were explaining this and talking about it was it was so technical but it was also so approachable and understandable. And so that's when I decided like I have to get Jeremy back on the show when when we kick off new episodes because we are going to talk about a lot of stuff. But how are you doing and how are things over at System 76 right now? I'm doing pretty great. Uh I I really appreciate the feedback on on that podcast with Mike Kelly and listen to that, listen to this, and hopefully you'll learn a little bit more about what we do at System76 because unlike other companies, I think we we want to reveal the internals because that's really where our value comes from. And uh, for us at System76, I think the current situation has not been too bad because Work from home users are buying computers at a crazy rate, way more than supply can keep up with. So it's like if we get a component, we know we're going to sell it. We have no inventory issues other than acquiring components. Previously, it was like, well, are we going to buy too much of this GPU or, or this hard drive? Now it's like, whatever you can get your hands on, we know somebody will buy. So uh, it is a strange market that way hmm. because we're doing so much work yet we're not able to keep up with the amount of sales we would have otherwise. If the supply situations weren't there, it really takes a lot more effort per customer to make sure that they're they're happy than uh, when we're selling hundreds of, of these machines each month. Like the Pangolin was sold out in in two days, maybe. And that's, had... the, uh, that's the new Ryzen laptop, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. yeah, and everyone was excited to get it. We had... We had far more people sign up to get notified than were able to buy the laptop. And then uh, then they go to the website and it could be like the day after they get the email, the Pangolin is now available. They go on the website and they can't configure it because it's sold out already. Oh, so then they, no. contact, they contact our support staff and then our support staff have to tell them, well, this is the amount of product we were allocated. Um, this is what we were able to pr- produce. So... It already sold out. And uh, thankfully, we haven't had to raise prices on laptops. Unfortunately, we have had to raise prices on GPUs because we aren't able to buy them at reasonable prices right now. So, Yeah, so you've seen the, the pricing on the Thaleo go up a little bit because of the, yes. uh, the NVIDIA and AMD situation. Particularly the GPUs. Yeah, we haven't seen that much of an issue with other components. So now we're offering lower... Uh, lower class GPUs than we were offering before the pandemic, just so we can uh, we can provide to users who are going to source their own GPU or uh, are going to use integrated graphics. In a lot of cases, we can get the GPUs at a lower price than what you can find uh, online in typical marketplaces. So pre-builts are actually a really good option for people trying to get a GPU just because of the way the allocation works. When GPU manufacturers can make more, they will 
they will give a, a larger percentage to uh, to online retailers. Right now, they're giving a larger percentage to physical retailers and to system integrators. So uh, it, it can be really tough to find a GPU on your own. Do you think that they're doing that just to avoid the scalping? Yes, absolutely. When it goes to a system integrator, you can negotiate for a lower price than what you see. We still have higher prices than what happened before the pandemic. And we've lowered our margins on components quite a bit to to keep our products competitive. But no matter what, if you go look shop around for a system configured the same way, you're going to see rises in every system integrator. And that, that another thing is why we weren't able to get AMD GPUs until recently is is related to the same kind of allocation. Uh, you know what? On that note, though, I do want to say uh, just kind of as a follow up to this newsletter piece that I did about you guys um, kind of respinning your ISO with support for the 6000 series mm-hmm. of Radeon GPUs. Um, I reinstalled Pop! OS today on my uh, my Falcon Northwest Talon. And so I'm rocking a 6800 XT and a 6800 with support out of the box mm-hmm. on, on Pop! 2010. And that was wonderful to see. Yeah, I'm really happy about that. The, the 6700 XT was actually a little harder because... Not all of the changes needed were were in any of the upstream projects. So we had to search for firmware and search for uh, some changes to to Linux that were sent in as emails from AMD employees but weren't applied yet. And the same thing for Mesa. Uh, And then once we got the 6700 XT, about a week later we got in supply of the 6800 XT. And it just worked because we had done the work to to get the 6700 XT working. So yeah, this is something I, I really wish we could have done much earlier. And now I think our relationship with AMD is such that we will get visibility to GPUs much earlier so that we can ideally be within uh, one to two weeks of launch, we will have support for the product. Yeah, I have to say when, uh, when the 6800 XT first launched, there were some salty um, Linux fans out mm-hmm. there and they were salty at people like me and, uh, you know, not directly, but, but, but I, I was kind of the one saying like if AMD had maybe sent my GPU for review over to a system integrator like System76, maybe I wouldn't be complaining here on this video about the complete lack of any support. Yeah, it was strange. And usually you'd expect, well, okay, the hardware support, they probably got it upstream before the card was released. So I'll just pull Arch and I'll pull the testing (laughs) Arch repos. And there was no support there either. They didn't release firmware or a number of patches required to fully support the card until until quite a bit later. And none of the distro developers had it. So uh, Mm -hmm. it was either in the hands of AMD personnel uh, who basically their job is just to make sure the patches are sent in. Their job is not to make sure there's a distribution you can download that actually supports it right their only job is basically to say like here's the official uh, amd gpu pro package for ubuntu exactly lts essentially is where their responsibility ends right yep it was interesting because both you and pharonix got the card and did reviews of it uh, i don't i remember. did i did a windows review <laughs> yeah you had to. <laughs> because that's all i, I could do <laughs> like they, so they they sent cards to people who are renowned and pretty much only known for Linux-based benchmarking and Linux-based reviews. 
I, I'm sure you and Michael from Pharonix worked together to figure some things out and, and Wendell from Level 1 Techs. And eventually, uh, I, I was delighted to see at least that there was a solution and you were able to do benchmarks on Linux. And, but the fact that so many Linux-based uh, reviewers had the card before any distribution developers kind of shows that they weren't really figuring out how to launch the card on Linux. Next time, what I, what I suggested to them was send it to people maybe over at Red Hat or Valve who are working mm-hmm. on the graphics stack <laughs> because exactly. they're your best asset. At least if it got to, to someone at Valve, they would figure out how to get patches into the more popular distributions. They thought that the Pro driver was enough for launch. Mm. Yeah. And it doesn't really install on a wide variety of distributions. So maybe if you had a stock Ubuntu 20.04 LTS, maybe even 18.04, it would work. Even now, the Pro driver doesn't work on a lot of distributions. And I just I want to thank you for um, you and and the System seventy six team for all the work that you guys did on this and and the Zen two launch mm-hmm. as well. <laughs> you guys we uh, lucky, used yeah. a lot of pain points with Zen two as well, so it's uh, it's it's something that I always remind people about. Like, yeah, you're gonna do bleeding edge hardware. Don't make Arch necessarily your first stop just because it's a rolling distro. There's you know there's there's companies out there mm-hmm. with a vested interest in getting their hardware that they sell to play nice with the new hardware that is being sold by others. Mm-hmm. So what are your thoughts in general about Intel's upcoming uh, dedicated GPUs? I have a lot of good news and a lot of kind of kind of bad news. So the good news is Intel is much more invested, I think, in, in getting their hardware supported by actual installable distributions than AMD was. The bad news is um, they have warned us that this will not be the level of support we get from Intel CPUs. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to say that, but it makes sense to me. It seems like we're going to to have a little better access than we had for AMD GPUs, but not quite as good as the Intel and AMD CPUs. And having access to those Intel and AMD CPUs early allowed us to fix that Zen 2 RD RAND bug in yes. Pop! OS and, and get an ISO out very close to launch, if not before it launched, because we had samples. Yeah, so acquiring samples is very important to us. I can't really reveal if we have samples or not, only that I'm optimistic about Intel because the public information about the rest of their hardware releases including things like CPUs, like the integrated XE graphics in the Tiger Lake CPUs, yeah, their Wi-Fi, all of that typically works when it's released uh, with, with Linux distributions because samples are required early on. So I'm optimistic, and I'm really happy with the work they've done on one API, uh, and I'm happy with a bunch of stuff they're doing in secret now that I hope gets <laughs> revealed uh, I really, I really hate this part of the industry. It's it's a necessary evil. I know. Just I know. saying, you even have the samples breaks embargo. I really wish they were releasing their hardware a little bit. I don't know. I can't wait to disrupt this whole darn industry. Well, you know what? What you're saying though is really something. encouraging. I mean, I'm I'm very mm-hmm. I'm very um, optimistic based on you know that that little that you can say. Especially it would be an improvement, I think. 
over Good. what we see out of other GPU vendors. And hopefully that competition will force other GPU vendors to, to be a little more proactive about supporting Linux and understand what that means. It doesn't mean that you get the patches upstream. Not even Arch really pulls from upstream. Okay, hmm. there's patches that are still waiting on approval that are in Pop! OS right now. So if you just say upstream only, you don't have the patches required to get the 6700 XT working quite, quite yet. It's important to get those into a release as soon as possible and not wait until the hardware launch. I think that's the major issue with the hardware companies is they want to hold as much to their chest as possible. And right now, I mean, I can't blame them. They're going to sell every GPU they make within days. So why do they have to care about doing basically anything for the consumer except raising prices? Hmm. That's Well, that's sobering. On a, on a little more lighthearted, uh, fun note, I, I wanted to step back to the embargo conversation because... Um, oh, please no. Just to, just to <laughs> give... No, 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 no. Not, I'm not putting any pressure on you. <laughs> I'm, just to give people an idea of how crazy these embargoes are. So when I receive an email from AMD about a CPU or a GPU launch, agreeing to the embargo means that I cannot tell people that I'm reviewing it. I cannot tell people that I have a sample or will receive a sample. I cannot tell them if or when the embargo date is. And so <laughs> the, mm. the crazy thing is like people are asking, hey, Jason, are you going to be reviewing that new AMD GPU? And I'm just like giving some vague answer, like politically correct answer so that I'm not breaking the embargo some in some way. I think AMD already had a correct answer to this. And that was the thinking face emoji. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You remember that from <laughs> from Scott Herkelman? So oh, Scott. He's an AMD employee. He can't reveal the... He couldn't have revealed the performance, so he just did it in the, uh, I guess, the most humorous way ever. I really like the, the, the RX 6800 XT. It, it really drives things, and I'm hoping, hoping to get the 6900 XT soon. So, I mean, he was right. But at the same time, he was wrong because it's been six months since release, and now now a system integrator finally got access to it. So in that time, we were selling pretty much only NVIDIA, and out of NVIDIA's stuff, we were only selling, like, every single 3001 would be sold out in hours. So yeah. we were selling Quadro and 1030 GTs. And now I think we've had to drop 1030s. that to 710 GTs. That's like the base if you want to get a Wait, Threadripper. Wait, they're still selling 710? Oh, yeah. They're still making them. Holy Not crap. just selling them. They are making them for the server market. So they have significant supply of those kinds of cards because they're used in servers so often just to get a VGA console, and that's it. <laughs> just to <laughs> run amazing. a you know 1024 by 768 monitor. So if somebody has a Threadripper uh, or a Massive that doesn't have integrated graphics... It makes a lot of sense to get the cheapest yeah. GPU and run it like that. But now we're selling Thaleos that have integrated graphics with that added because it's just a little bit better than the integrated graphics. It's it's pretty nuts the market right now. Okay, well let me let me back up and just I just want to tell one quick story about the PlayStation Five embargo, mm. just to illustrate how crazy embargoes can get. Uh, I have a friend who works at IGN, and this friend said that Sony insisted they do not display the console near any open doors or windows well there were robberies so 
Like people were scouting out these things. Like if they, if you saw oh one through a window, God. you'd break in and grab it, right? Man, it, I don't know. But yeah, it's it just nuts. it just drives home the the point that you just made. Like this this industry is is crazy right now. It's it's absolutely bonkers and doesn't show any signs of waning. Yep. Let's let's get on to so. Oh man, I love talking GPUs. What? <laughs> <laughs> so I gave uh, Linux for Everyone patrons an opportunity to ask you a question. And if you guys want this opportunity in the future, uh, you can just go to patreon.com slash Linux for everyone. And any, any patron, regardless of what tier you're on, uh, gets this little feature where you guys get basically first dibs on, uh, on asking questions of our guests. So I have a few for you. I have about a dozen, actually. Awesome. <laughs> More than I expected. Uh, but I can tell you what a lot of them are about. A lot of them are about core boot. And a lot of them are about, hey, I'm in Europe, and uh, when are you <laughs> getting distribution here? Sure. So Paul Paul says, any chance of a European distributor for System76 hardware in the future? I wish I could buy a System76 without the prohibitive shipping. Well, yeah, my answer has always been, I wish you could too. And this is yeah. often a country-based restriction, or for the entire EU, there's import taxes and often charged by the shipper. So if you want to get it in, there's no way really around it, except maybe to mm -hmm. smuggle it in on a boat, which some companies might actually be doing because the restrictions are so extreme and the, the tariffs are so extreme. So yeah, I, I really dislike this question because it hurts so much to answer it Yeah, that we don't have very much of a European market right now because of the tariffs. And we couldn't set up a distributor until we have a bigger European market. So it's it's a chicken and egg problem. Mm -hmm. It's the exact problem that 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 we always are talking about with Linux and software, right? Well, you sure. need a, a large install base to attract the big app developers, but you need the big app developers to get a larger install base. For us, it's <laughs> even more critical because an application... Uh, it doesn't cost anything to uh, to release it somewhere. And maybe there's some porting issues. Of course there are. But for us, if we don't make money on a laptop sale, it cannot happen. If you were to look at the European market right now and it's 1% of our total sales, the vast majority of which are still inside the U.S., it's really tough to justify, especially with the other difficulties of entering into the European market, where we have to account for about 20 different keyboard designs. We have to make sure that translations are really good across all of our software. Mm -hmm. We have to comply with a number of European regulations, uh, some of which we already are, but some are going to be difficult. And uh, we have to do the, in order to qualify and not pay the tariffs, we have to do significant work inside the EU for each product. So we have to ship raw materials there and have manufacturing a manufacturing facility there. And for laptops, that can be especially difficult. We don't do in-house design. So we the factory is in China. Yet. And it ships into the U.S. And in the U.S., we attach the keyboard. We yeah. flash the firmware. We figure out components like the hard drive and RAM. And... Uh, but the, the actual motherboard and chassis are coming from China. I, I'm not really sure how the tariffs work going from China to 
uh, to the EU. I know there are other companies that do their assembly, the same things I just listed inside the EU, like Tuxedo Computers. I'm certain that they get some benefit just doing assembly there. We just don't have enough bandwidth to justify the significant amount of time where we'd be negative profit-wise uh, yeah, I can understand that. I mean, it's, the EU. it's not like you have a guaranteed revenue stream after you sell the product. Right. right? You can sell a console at a, at a loss. You can sell a phone at a loss. Yeah, any anything that spies on you and and the data, <laughs> the console is is paid for by the software sales and by the data they receive about the user. And so they sell it at a slight loss. Uh, maybe they should sell it at a higher price, though, just to make the stock issues a little better. The same thing for mobile phones, of course. We don't have any bundled services to do that with, and if we did, I would feel very, very badly about having some kind of subscription for a piece of software that ought to be running in your own premises, in my opinion. Mm. So I wouldn't enter into some kind of deal like... Like Firefox has a deal that Google is the default search engine. That's how they make a lot of their money. If they were to change that, they may go out of business. Mozilla might go out of business. Uh, so they have built their business model around Google being the default. And then Google gets to vacuum up all that data uh, anytime you search through Firefox. And then now that they're in this situation where the majority of their profit comes from that Google contract, there is no way out for them except bankruptcy. The only way out would be to, to kill their business model. So Firefox will perpetually have Google search so long as it remains their main vehicle of profit. So I don't want to get System76 into that situation. We're trying to move the other direction where we can confidently say, unlike competitive distributions, let me just say Ubuntu, we do not report user data at all from a Pop! OS install. And the only data we know about you when you buy a machine is the data required to sequence billing, your address and credit card number. I think that will become even more apparent as we work to support GDPR, which should be coming pretty soon, uh, what that work has required is to document that we are actually compliant, and it will detail every single piece of data that we grab about the user. And the vast majority of it is to sequence the sale and shipping of the machine. Wow, well, bravo. That's really refreshing. What about on the Pop! OS side? Uh, do you guys capture any kind of usage statistics or...? Absolutely not. I didn't think so, but... Uh, you know, on the flip side, like I wanted to ask you, is there any validity to the argument that if you were tracking, you know, the usage and behaviors and and things like that, could you make a better product on the OS side? Uh, I think our users look at Ubuntu and, and that is the comparison. Canonical has designed a few revenue streams coming through Ubuntu and those rely on, in some cases, tracking user data. And I think that if you were to ask Pop! OS users if they would like that, in exchange for us to do similar things to what Ubuntu is doing, they would absolutely destroy us uh, publicly. And it would be their right. Another great example is Manjaro. Mm -hmm. I remember probably one or two years ago, I mean, everything before the pandemic, I, I don't know what the time was. 
Oh, I know. I know. It's it's like the before mm-hmm. times and the exactly. after times. <laughs> yeah. The problem is Manjaro switched to soft office. And they were previously providing LibreOffice as the default. Mm-hmm. They ninja switched to soft office. Some well, people noticed. They, did they ninja switch? I Some people, yes. Some people noticed, and they added a selector into the installer. Oh, right. It one, both, or none. Then the installer defaulted to soft office, and they touted this partnership with soft office as well. We want to build a. We want to have a better office suite for our users. I don't think that's what soft office wanted. I don't think that's what they were paying for. I think they were paying for access to those users specifically to get them into subscription services and subscription services often provide far more uh, profit back than just the cost of the subscription Hmm. because of the data that they can collect about the user i'm not completely on the side of my computer doesn't send any data anywhere i'm still kind of a sham i use google and uh, i have google accounts but i I don't want the products that I work on to participate yeah. in this bad environment. When you get a System76 machine and turn it on, or when you ha- install Pop! OS on any machine, the only data going back and forth between any servers is when you do a software update. And mm. that's just to say, hey, I'm looking for the new list for, for Pop! OS 2010. Then you download the software list. Then, hey, I'm looking for this piece of software that was in this list. Then you download that. We do not have any tracking anytime we do our own repository of the download counts. So the things that I use when I'm interested in data is maybe I'll go to I'll go to some other source of data where users have accepted some privacy policy like Steam, and I look at the Steam hardware survey, and I just look at that for trends. I know Pop OS is doing well because I've seen it. It's just everywhere I go. I cannot go anywhere Linux-related without seeing Pop! OS pop up, and hopefully also System76. So Dude, am, I I, really... am I imagining this? or and I, Okay, so I've been in the Linux game for about two and a half years at this point, almost three years. When I got into Linux, when I started covering Linux professionally uh, at Forbes, and even before I started the Choose Linux podcast, which, which came before this one... Mm-hmm. I got. I get the sense that really no one had any idea what Pop OS was. Absolutely. Am I okay? So I'm not making that up. I mean, it's been a pretty aggressive like it ramp is, up for you guys in the last couple of years. I have some estimates about market share. Uh, I estimate about five percent, and we have gone from zero to five percent since uh, our our biggest release was 1804. That was our first real release. 1710, we did a release, but I think it was not nearly as popular. So 1804, we got a huge amount of of installs. 2004, another huge amount of installs. And now people are installing 2010 and 2004. Just like anywhere I go on Reddit, I'm just like, okay, I'm going to look up, uh, just read through some (laughs) Linux news. And then it's people pimping out Pop! OS. And I'm like, you're not even getting paid to do that. Stop it. What are you doing? What do you what do you what do you guys attribute that to? Is it just a kind of a perfect storm of of press coverage and word of mouth? Definitely word of mouth and press coverage matter a lot. What I have seen is that people are genuinely dissatisfied with other distribution offerings because they hit some kind of blocker. 
And we have been very serious about trying to grease the gears of mm. Linux distributions in general so that when you get Pop! OS, it just flows. And that kind of flow is not even something that you see on, on proprietary operating systems. I do have <laughs> to use Windows sure. and Mac OS quite often. Uh, and when I, uh, mainly for this new project, the keyboard, because we're going to be delivering the configuration tool on Windows and, and Mac OS. And it is downright painful. It is absolutely <laughs> painful. Like I just got the vaccine and I got to say, my arm is really sore and I can barely lift it over my head. But that kind of pain is nothing <laughs> compared to the pain of using Mac OS and its terrible default window management. Do you know that you still, I still cannot even, e even snap a window in Mac OS? Are you kidding? Right. You have to, so usually you just manually resize it. What I've heard from other people is that they're using the full screen kind of workspace you, switching a lot. Well, that's, yeah, but like that's Because that, that's the only thing that they <laughs> offer. So if yeah, that's but the only thing they to, like, offer, it makes to, sense. You have to go to, you know, full screen the window and then tell it if you want that to be right or left. And then you have to, mm -hmm. it's just, it's not, in, it's not intuitive at all. I will be controversial and say Windows 10 has better window management than default GNOME because they have quarter tiling. And yeah, when you snap do. a window, they ask you what window you want next to it. The only thing that kind of sucks there is their window overlay view, where if you hit Windows tab, it will show all your windows along with a whole bunch of irrelevant news filling up like the bottom two thirds of the screen. Whereas GNOME will show the whole window spread. And I like the GNOME window spread personally. Super random question. When will we see GNOME 40 on Pop? I think the question is, what, do you, what are you looking for from GNOME 40? Because I've gotten this question a lot. And usually I try to figure out, what did they see in GNOME 40? And I try to hint that maybe those things will be coming in 2104. And maybe I'm not allowed to talk about it quite yet but maybe i can maybe i can thinking face a few of these things <laughs> well uh, i know people really like the gestures i know they like gestures on the touchpad thinking, thinking face those thinking gestures face. are awesome i know people are really excited about having horizontal workspaces i personally am not but perhaps you should be able to perhaps choose which layout you want. Maybe just having one solution does not work for users who have, for example, a 3.2 laptop display, perhaps does not map to a, uh, geez, what is it, 16 to 3 ultra wide. Perhaps, perhaps you need to have a little configurability in those, in those options. Perhaps there are things missing from GNOME that users have asked for for a long time and maybe we're finally to the point where we're willing to say gnome is going one way and i like i like some things that they're doing and we will take the things we like and we will go a slightly different way we will still be in the same ecosystem and we will try to remain as compatible as possible and we will still try to offer to upstream what what we can uh, but Pop! OS users have different needs than Fedora users. Perhaps the question that we should be asking is what Stephen Cross, host of the Talking Drupal podcast, asked mm -hmm. via Patreon. He says, uh, he asked, are there any significant improvements on the roadmap for Pop Shell? 
Absolutely. It sounds like, you yeah. know, there's a lot of divergence that might be happening here, and we should be asking, like, oh, so what's in store for Pop Shell, not necessarily what's so, in store for GNOME, right? One thing we have realized is that there are patches that we apply on Pop OS that don't really fit into Pop Shell as a tiling agent and window management agent. Pop Shell is being used on other distributions. Manjaro was offering it in the installer for Manjaro GNOME. And we want to provide that and and improve it, but we don't want to offer all of the groundbreaking changes that I think may cause people to leave Pop OS for GNOME 40. We want Pop Shell to be compatible with GNOME 40 and uh, with what we are calling Cosmic. Cosmic is the set of changes that we are going to make to GNOME Shell to provide the Pop OS user experience. It will be backwards compatible. It should be fully compatible with GNOME 40 when GNOME 40 launches on Ubuntu in 21.10. It will be released on 21.04, and it will have uh, a number of changes that that I think users have asked for that I kind of described before. Yeah, we want to. We definitely want to integrate it with Pop Shell so that together they work a little bit better. But we want to make sure Pop Shell is still backwards compatible and forwards compatible with GNOME. GNOME 3.38 and GNOME 40. Uh, so it, it, there is some segmentation now in the changes we make in Pop OS. I hope that we will be able to explain those a little better. Pop Shell will be the majority of the window management. It will continue okay. to do tiling and get patches for tiling. It may help out with some workspace things. And, and uh, I know we've planned to be able to name workspaces. And we have planned to be able to use the launcher to switch between those workspaces. So Nice. And we've also planned to be able to have saved layouts. So you can save the windows on a workspace or the whole environment, give it a name, and in the launcher you can select that name, type in the first few characters of that name, press enter, and it will launch those windows exactly where they were before. <gasps> That's the Dude. idea. Dude, yes! So those are two <laughs> yes! major things I think that are coming to Pop Shell. They just may not be there for 2104, which is primarily wow. our cosmic release, which okay, will okay. will handle configurable uh, configurable UI options. Like 90% of the screenshots on the Pop OS Reddit have a a dock. It's it's something that we want to be able to provide out of the box. There are a lot of issues with dash to dock paired with with Pop Shell. And maybe there's issues with, with uh, tiling and pop shell and dash to panel as well. Now that we're integrating both into, uh, into pop OS 2104, users will be able to select where the dock goes. They'll be able to extend it to a panel or, or not. Uh, they will be able to change the size, put it on all monitors or one monitor, all out of the box. Oh yes. my God. We're introducing a new pane where we are renaming the appearance pane in GNOME Control Center, it will be desktop. And it will have all of the stuff that's in that appearance pane, plus way, way, way more. So I'm so, here right now, and I'm saying, oh, well, there's not that much stuff in there. No, the there's the background right and the theme. Yeah. And yeah. the rest, you know, users have to be told, well, install GNOME Tweaks and do this thing in GNOME Tweaks. And uh, sometimes it breaks the workflow because we haven't tested it. Now we're going to integrate a significant portion of GNOME Tweaks and some of the common things that users change, like adding a dock, and also having the workspace picker be configurable for multiple monitors. 
something that's really bothered me about current GNOME and current POP is that the workspace picker, uh, which is really useful for organizing windows, is only on the primary monitor. And if you have an ultra-wide, that's, that's fine, I guess. Uh, but if you have three monitors, it's uh, kind of a pain in the butt to do anything with workspaces on the non-primary monitors. It's stuff like this. These are the reasons that I always come back to Pop! OS. It's the out-of-box mm-hmm. experience. That's, I mean, I know that people love to tweak and configure and really personalize their distros, but I'm, I'm not that guy. <laughs> I just like to install my OS and, and get to work or get to playing. Sure. The changes where you guys deviate from Ubuntu or, or GNOME, uh, I can't speak for everyone, but I get the feeling that they, they seem to appeal to a wide set of users from, you know, from gamers to casual users, to developers, to graphic designers, to, mm-hmm. you know, everybody who just wants to use their computer for a purpose. That's the idea. And to answer from before, when you were talking about tracking and could tracking improve something like this, Mm -hmm. where you're deciding what features to do next, we did user surveys and we asked users, so what do you want to do? We don't have to collect data from users when we can just send out a survey on our social and on on the subreddit and the, the pop chat and on our newsletter and get responses that way. And I I wouldn't want to like look at the package list. Like, do users have this installed? Do they have that installed? They haven't hmm. told me that they want me to look at what they have installed. And I wouldn't want the OS developer to be looking at what what packages I have installed specifically, especially if it's third party stuff that didn't even come from the OS. I don't want them to know that I have Steam installed or what games, or right. I don't want them to be looking at my Firefox extensions. And it's also a liability to us. The more data that we collect from users, the more we really, really, really have to be able to account for that. We aren't in the position like Apple where we can just pay a $100 million fine if we screw up. <laughs> like, Yeah, like it's pocket okay. change. Or Facebook. They, if they just leaked 500 million people's phone numbers... Not that that really matters because your phone number was already somewhere. Come on, I can find it. It's easy. But when you are in possession of that data and you leak it, especially when you have a a significant, huge, vast set of users of Pop! OS, very few of whom actually pay us, it's not like there's some fund we can pull from like Apple does where they set aside some percentage of sales and just say, well, that's the legal budget. If somebody dies because a phone explodes, we'll just pull out of that budget. And it doesn't hurt our bottom line at all. It would put us out of business. That's a very important thing for us, is to be minimalistic in what you grab back from the user. We're really giving them this operating system without a warranty and without data collection. This is Pop! OS. If you don't like it, you can use something else or you can change it. Most of the source code is available, except things like the NVIDIA driver and, and firmware that Linux uses. I I really don't like the canonical and Red Hat method of, of funding their development of operating systems primarily through subscription-based models that almost certainly require constant information collection from the users. At the very least, you need to know how to contact them. I don't know how to contact hardly any Pop! OS users. 
The only ones I know are the ones who purchased the System76 product and they put in a number so that they could be contacted for billing purposes. Right. We have a huge install base and that install base in some ways informs us about markets where System76 should be focusing on. When we did that survey, we did find some deviance between that survey and the exact same survey sent out to System76 customers only. So, really? Can, can you talk about that? Yeah. So, uh, for example, far more people who buy our products said that they needed NVIDIA GPUs for a specific purpose. Whether that purpose was gaming or machine learning, it doesn't matter. It, it was just they said they needed it. Far hmm. less Pop! OS users, even though they said they had the NVIDIA driver installed, said that they needed the NVIDIA GPU for a specific purpose. And part of that indicates, you know, we just aren't, we don't have enough AMD GPU offerings. Uh, that these people are basically, when they buy from us, they're buying an NVIDIA GPU because that's what's there. Not because they need it, but because that's paired with the machine that they need. Uh, so that's an interesting deviation. It and I, I think it's I think it's quite cool to see that Pop! OS users can be almost as professional as, as the people who buy our products. Uh, I think a lot of people see us as a consumer brand if they don't really know us, but the vast majority of our sales come through corporate sales. Companies that are, that are buying like an entire engineering team's worth of Oryxes okay. or Thaleo majors. Mm -hmm. And they will, buy, they will buy these things because uh, they'll get support. So that drives a significant part of our sales. The consumer market is definitely growing faster. And I think that's where the word of mouth really matters and, and getting our name out there. And that's also where Pop! OS matters. But from the Pop! OS surveys, it also appeared that the majority of Pop! OS users are using Linux for some kind of work. And the media, yourself included, like to tell the story of the consumer and the consumer benefits. And that's yeah. great. And that's where we lose the most to Windows because the majority of those people huh. are going off and buying a $400 laptop that has Windows pre-installed. But the market where we're growing is really the professional market. That's where, that's where Linux is really growing at such a crazy rate that I, I think it's, it's nuts to say... Uh, like uh, if you're enterprise, you're going to buy Windows. That's true for some companies, but for quite a few companies and government agencies and so on, they come to us and buy our product because it comes with Linux, not because it could install Linux. So why would they choose System76 over a Dell or a Lenovo? Because Dell support and Lenovo support for Linux is subpar. Oftentimes, when you open a support ticket and you are a Dell customer, the primary thing that their level one support will do is try to figure out what version of Windows you're on, and if you're not running Windows, get you to reinstall using the recovery disk that comes with the machine. Really? Yes. They'll just say, and this can oh be my verified God. if you ask. Oh, that's not cool. If that's you ask cool. people who buy direct from <laughs> Dell, even for the developer edition that comes with Ubuntu, uh, they will they will drive you to doing a Windows install. What to and you will have to escalate. So you'll yeah. have to say, "Well, I bought the developer edition. It didn't come with the Windows installer. I don't want to run Windows." Perhaps they will escalate you 
and you will get specialized support for, for Linux. For us, we don't have that kind of division of focus. We support Linux, and if you're not running Linux, we will support that too. But you can call with the operating system that was installed on the device, or you can create a support ticket, and we're not going to tell you, well, you have to do a reinstall. That will be one of the last things that we try to go through. Even Apple, who obviously they only support one operating system on the M1 MacBooks, they will push the user to try and do a reinstall rather than try to debug the problem with the operating system. I think we're very opposite of that, where we will try to figure out how did this user's install get to this point? You know, when, when I need to do the nuclear option, I will nuke and pave mm-hmm. because that's my last resort. That's not my first resort. Yeah, and a lot of times it goes wrong where you forget something and that can be, that can be a real pain to reset up your environment. I'm used to setting up my environment, so I can, I can keep working on our laptops. I will get a new model that we're developing, and I'll install Pop! OS on it, whatever's the latest version. In probably 10 minutes, I'll be up and running with all the source code I need to start working on the firmware for that model, for example. So it's, so cool. uh, it's not... Yeah, but most users, just the, the very idea of reinstalling the operating system and wiping their data... It seems very wrong to them, even though that's the primary thing that happens when you send in a model for, when you send in a product for an RMA or when you do a support call, is they will try to verify that you are running the version of whatever operating system that you're supposed to be. And if you're not, they'll try to get you to reinstall. And it has happened quite often that Dell support has not supported the developer edition unless it was running Windows. And they have to go through hoops to really escalate to the Linux support. I, I think that this is uh, something that our customers have expressed as a reason why they've switched to System76. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do a survey every time that a user receives a machine. And we'll ask a few simple questions. Are they satisfied with, with the machine they received? And so on and so forth. And what comments do you have? The comments that come in are probably the most interesting thing where people just rant about how easy it was to get a laptop running Linux Hmm. and that it really, the rest of the market ought to be that way. Uh, So Linux is a first-class citizen for us and a third-class citizen for Dell, where even sometimes it's very difficult to find the developer edition on the Dell website. Oh, yes. That's that's something that I have uh, criticized them for. Mm -hmm. They don't go out of their way to... um to really promote it and shine a spotlight on it. And almost all of that is true about Lenovo as well. I know a lot of people will say, well, buy Lenovo, buy a Lenovo. Maybe if you get like the X1 Carbon, it will work out of the box. But if you go special and you get like a P51, something running NVIDIA or a Quadro, it can be a real pain in the butt to get Windows, to get Ubuntu working as well as Windows. They may sell it, but they do not really support it at the level that companies like System76 do. You know what is frustrating about Lenovo is they made a huge amount of noise last summer about all of these new systems. It was the it was the Fedora and Lenovo partnership. You know, right. uh, I devoted a couple a couple videos and podcast episodes to that. I interviewed Lenovo and Fedora. They had all these press releases, and they generated all of this hype and buzz, and it's it's just whittled down to nothing now. It's like, 
the P53 that I reviewed is discontinued. And mm-hmm. and people are people are still to this day contacting me and saying, "Did you know that I just I just asked Lenovo about whatever model that ships with Fedora and and the salespeople don't even know that it comes with Linux." Right. And and it's it's and so Lenovo is going through the same it's it's almost contradictory. It's like, why are you making all this noise about what what is admittedly kind of a specialized market, and then just kind of it seems like they're just backing away from it. The answer is when supply diminishes for for computer components, uh... the companies that have a majority of their sales going to Windows 10 customers are gonna start canceling and reducing the cost of supporting Linux. So you'll see fewer models and you'll see less support. For us, that is the only thing we sell. If we don't provide good Linux support, we will die. And I think Mm -hmm. this ties into the kind of things I was saying earlier about Firefox and how the incentives really matter for something that's funded a certain way. How are they funded? We are funded 99%, 99 99.99% by hardware sales. Right. And then we have a small little Pop! OS donation where you can donate $12 a year to, to support Pop. But mm-hmm. compared to our hardware sales, it is a rounding error. So I really <laughs> want people to understand this is, how, this is how Pop! OS ends up as good as it is and how System76 ends up as good as it is and why it keeps growing. It's not because we're collecting data from users to figure out what we need to do. It's because we have seen users want Linux support on new hardware, period. Yes, yes, yes. And that is the only thing that we sell. And by tying ourselves into that business model of we will sell you a computer with new hardware running Linux and we will provide support for it, we have eliminated nearly all of our competitors from the same market. We're in a slice that not even the other Linux based uh, offerings compete in. They will either be older hardware or provide less support, or they won't be working on things like what we've done with Pop! OS or what we've done with Coreboot. There will be some piece of the equation missing. And this is why I think it's so important for us to focus on the professional market. We see it growing, and we see that the differentiation between us and our competitors, especially on laptops, is we have products that can be configured to a higher level than our competitors. You look for a competitor to the Lemur Pro. Yes, the Lemur Pro has 8 gigabytes of soldered RAM, but we offer it configurable up to 48 gigabytes, or sorry, 40 gigabytes. The competitive product that is slightly heavier, the same size from Dell, the XPS 13, has a much smaller battery, only one M.2 slot, and completely soldered RAM. So, the, and the maximum that they sell it at is 32 gigabytes. And then, of course, we have the Darter, we have the Oryx, things that, com- that go up to 64 gigabytes. The competition in those markets gets a little bit more competitive because when you get up to 15 inches, Dell starts to do things like adding in RAM slots. But still, mm-hmm. if you try to configure, we will usually configure to a higher level than our competitors in every single size class and every single price class. The used market is certainly competitive, and I think if you're looking to get into Linux and you can't afford one of our products, you should look into the used market, definitely. Hardware is hardware. 
time is money and money is time. If you spend twice as much to get a machine working, it ought to come out of the box with everything you need. So if you want to buy a used ThinkPad, maybe it will be a little cheaper. Maybe you'll spend $500 of your time trying to set it up. This is why we're able to compete <laughs> with that market with, the, with business customers, because they want the machine to be turnkey. So, but for users who want to tweak, Pop! OS and System76 may not be the best answer. If you want to build your own laptop, like build a Raspberry Pi laptop, obviously we're not competing in that price class. And I don't think we have any intention of competing in that price class. We're competing in the professional market, and we've drawn in a huge number of consumers who also, their life is just as important as their profession. When I think about the things I do on my, my core boot Pop! OS system, I manage my bank accounts, I manage my investments, I do all of my email. Those are things I would not want to delegate to a system running from another OEM that may be reporting back stuff for support. Like you run a Dell system and it has Windows 10 and it has support assist. They basically yeah. have a root kit installed on all of their Windows 10 installs. So I think those professional things really matter to us and don't matter so much to our competitors. That's where we see the opportunity in growing. We keep growing because we're targeting something that no one else is targeting, and that is professional Linux users. And the consumer market follows those people because they see, well, that guy, he's working on Linux. He has a System76 laptop. That means if he can do his work, I'm sure I can do my what I need to do on it, even if I don't have it for work, even if I have to use a Windows laptop for work from my company. I can't tell you what conference it was, but it was in the before times, as we referenced earlier. Mm. Uh, it was a Linux conference somewhere. And I just remember seeing someone sharing a photo on Twitter of uh, some kind of talk that was happening. And there were three people in the second aisle, um, you know, not sitting together, but three people in the second row of that talk all had System76 logos on their laptops. Not stickers, but they were right. actual. <laughs> I, was thinking, I, I have seen the stickers. Which is entertaining, like they cover up the Mac logo with the system. So <laughs> anyway, that yeah. number, that number would be way more, I think, if we were to yeah. have those conferences this year, oh, the Lemur Pro especially, it just blew through everything we've ever done before because it was That's configured great. the right way where we had, I think the biggest complaints that we had were fan noise and battery size. And those were the things that we were able to address with the Lemur Pro with the open source embed controller code, we were able mm -hmm. to attack those fan curves, as you mentioned, in a very detailed way uh, in the previous podcast with Mike Kelly. I went through that, and I'm happy to go through it again in excruciating detail. No, like, honestly, <laughs> honestly, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to link people to uh, the newsletter issue that I did. Mm -hmm. that, kind of, that kind of summarized that, and I'm going to link people yes. to that, that podcast episode when this episode goes live because I remember that when you had a complaint about the fan curve on some model and yes. maybe in a couple days I had a firmware update for you I made a video and you might remember the thumbnail it was me hugging the lemur pro yes and and the title was why I love system 76 and it was in response to that being nimble like that is what a company like yours can do I service I, I read through reddit and I keep keep my fingers on the pulse of each model that we sell to try and figure out what the pain points points are and probably mm -hmm. more importantly, what can we fix? Because once you release 
a system out to the wild, uh, anything you missed in hardware is kind of already <laughs> kind of already done. So yeah. if the battery is too small, you can't just size up the battery. But for the Lemur Pro, a lot of it was uh, the power and fan curve. And we addressed both of those soon after release by improving the fan curve and making the power selector do way more. So it would, I think you measured like 15% between the, the balance mode and high performance. Yeah, between 13 to 15. I obviously, I put it into my refrigerator and measured 18%. <laughs> of course, no throttle. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Uh, and, uh, we've done the same kind of studies on the Oryx Pro and on, on other open, open firmware products where we have core boot and we're running the open source embedded code, uh, embedded controller code. And that response has been extremely popular with customers where they can, people just don't expect that kind of response from firmware. This is a whole nother episode, okay? Firmware has almost no visibility, and I really dislike that. It's interesting that you bring that up because I'm, I'm sitting here looking at the time. And so I'm actually wondering if, if I wrap up this episode and then have a part two where that we get into good. firmware and core boot and, and that kind of stuff. The teaser for this next episode is software ought to work like firmware and firmware ought to work like software. And they don't right now. And I really hate that. We develop our firmware on GitHub and we QA test our software. And I think there's a lot of things missing from, well, even from us with our proprietary firmware offering or us from a couple years ago before we had this. I can speak to that, how it was before we had Core Boot and we had the open embed controller firmware. Uh, it's much easier now for us to move on customer uh, questions and, and customer comments. Mm -hmm. And we treat it like a software project where if somebody opens an issue on GitHub, we're going to link to the PR that fixes it and they can see the code that fixes it. And I don't, I'm not aware of any other vendor that does that, even the other core boot vendors. Uh, so it's a pretty unique thing to have people directly participate in firmware development as though it was software development. Well, we should dig into that in part two. <laughs> I'm excited for that. And that is a wrap for episode 46 of the show. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, we're going to do this again next week. I've got part two edited and ready to go. Uh, part two of my interview with Jeremy. And we really do dig into kind of the, the philosophies and the uh, importance of core boot as well as open hardware. We also uh, take kind of a, a detour, a side quest into VR gaming and talk about his personal hardware setup as well. But yeah, listen, a huge, huge thank you uh, from me to Jeremy for, for being so open and for spending like two and a half hours of his time. And a huge thank you to System76 as well for giving Jeremy the freedom to talk about things so openly. All right, before I close this all up and say goodbye, I want to tell you, I don't want to overwhelm you with too many housekeeping items here, but there has been a lot going on, and I just want to briefly, very briefly, touch on some of those. Uh, number one, there is a repository on GitHub that you need to know about. It is called Linux for Everyone. It's under the Linux for Everyone organization, and it's basically a place for community members to make and share stuff like wallpapers or memes or merch designs or videos or audio snippets or pretty much whatever your imagination can come up with. 
Uh, there's a lot of material for you to check out. There's some 3D Blender files. Uh, there's some audio, some uh, some of the Welcome Home segments that you used to hear in the beginning, some samples of that, and I am looking for more. Always, always looking for more of those. Uh, there are logo source files. There are some video intros and outros. There is uh, some fan art in there, and there's the highlight might be uh, the folder called Photos of Jason, where it's just me um, being expressive and doing various uh, silly expressions. So take those and run with them and have fun. Okay, also there is a Linux for Everyone Matrix channel now, and that's linked to the existing Discord server. So in Matrix, you're just going to get like a general channel, and you're not going to have the uh, the different rooms and the different, uh, you know, category-based channels that we have on Discord. But uh, it's a great start, and I want to thank Dementor, a.k.a. AR, for getting that set up. And uh, it's, it's kind of noisy in there already, so that's awesome. Uh, I'll have a link to that and the GitHub repo and all the other stuff that we have mentioned in this episode over at www.linux, the number four, everyone.com. And that may or may not be a brand new website by the time you hear this episode. If it's not, we're working on it diligently, I promise. If you want to chat about something between episodes, you can always reach out to me via email. That is linuxforeveryone at pm.me. That's linuxforeveryone at pm.me. Extra special thanks to Tuxedo Computers for making this all possible. So until we chat again, you guys take care and take care of each other. Bye. cut out all the mistakes i'm gonna send you a list of all the mistakes i made after this i i sometimes depending on the depending on the time that i have i will even cut out ums and ahs and uh, just like, um uh okay yeah that, that kind that, of stuff um, so. that sounds oh, mm, okay to me yeah i i know what the <laughs> i know what the waveform looks like <laughs> don't abuse it <laughs>